Stuart Mazel, for those of you who slipped in afterwards, um, very thankful that you're here today. Thankful for all of you who were um, coming in online or through the podcast. Uh, we are in a series called Joy, and uh, we've been in this for a few weeks now. We've seen so far that uh, joy is a gift from God. We have seen that joy is relational. In other words, it is to be shared and experienced together in many ways, and we've also seen that uh, we, can, we, as Christians, we can have joy when we realize that God enjoys us in Christ. And um, today we're going to be talking about the joy of worship, and so we're going to be looking at, I want to say Romans every time, Psalm 98, Psalm 98, and this is what God's Word says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, we are thankful for your word. Would you, as you always do, let your word accomplish exactly what you send it out to do today. And Father, our desire would be that we would see people come to faith because of your word, that we would see people grow in their faith. And Lord, we would ask that you would increase our joy in Christ, that we really would be a joyful people, even in the midst of suffering and pain and sorrow, Fill us, Holy Spirit, that we would bear your fruit, particularly of joy. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In uh, 2014, researchers at Brown University claim to have found a connection between a person's political views and the way they smell. Kind of, kind of. Here's what happened. So people were asked to share their views on political issues, and they were 
uh, people who leaned conservative or people who leaned liberal, they put them in those categories. And then those people were given a piece of gauze. I am not making this up. And they were told to put the piece of gauze in their armpit and to keep it there for 24 hours. And then at the end of the 24 hours, they handed over the gauze to the researchers. And a week later, they asked the same participants to smell those pieces of gauze. What they discovered was remarkable. That the people who lean conservative liked the smell better of the ones of, that it, it was under their arm for the conservative people, and the ones who were liberal, they liked the smell of the ones that came from the people who had a liberal view and they put it under their arm, but they did not like the smell of the other. Really weird, right? And so they made this connection that your political views apparently have a smell, and that you like the smell of your political views, even if it's from someone else. Now, please do not smell the person beside you to see if they agree with you politically, all right? Please don't do that. But I will say, to me, that seems like a very flimsy connection to make, that your political views have a certain smell. So I don't want to talk about that anymore. But what I do want to talk about is the connection that we see in Scripture between two things that are very much connected. They are substantially connected. And that is, there is a substantial connection between worship and joy. There is a substantial connection between worship and joy. Let's take a look at this passage, starting in verse 4 from Psalm 98. Notice what he says here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. This is a call to worship. And the psalmist is saying, let it be a joyful event. Let it be something that you just shout out loud. That you break forth into joyous song. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. In other words, bring the instruments in. Let the instruments help with the celebrating of who God is and what he's done. Verse 6, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Here's your king People, here's your Lord. Let's make a, a great, joyful sound before him because he is worthy of that. And then verse 7, the psalmist even calls in the sea. And he says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I, I hope you get the picture of what the psalmist is spelling out for us. Joy comes when we worship and worship is connected with joy. It makes sense because when we worship, what we're saying is there's someone who is worthy 
of honor, worthy of praise, worthy of adoration, right? That's what we're saying when we say we're worshiping someone. And when we speak that praise, it is like we are enjoying God and that enjoyment is even further built into the way we speak. C.S. Lewis says it this way in uh, his reflections on the Psalms. And I think this is worth really taking in. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. And then he goes on to say, and he quotes from uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In, the, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. The point being, that when we praise God, when we worship God, we are using our language to express our gratitude, our wonder, our awe, our adoration of who God is. And by saying those words, by worshiping Him, by giving expression, we're actually building up even more joy within us. It's sort of like a, you know, you've heard of the downward spiral. It's sort of an upward spiral where the more we praise God, the more joyful we actually feel. And you know what? This makes sense. This makes sense because worship gets us outside ourselves. Worship gets us outside of ourselves. Think about it. When you are giving praise to someone, let's just remove it from worship for a moment and just think about when you praise another person. Great job, Johnny. Thank you for doing that. That was wonderful. When you're doing that, you're not really thinking about yourself as much. You're thinking about the other person. And the same is true when we worship God, when we give him praise, we are getting outside of ourselves and we are focusing on someone else, and in focusing on someone else, our joy increases. The problem is, and I, I, there's always good news and bad news whenever we talk about these things. The bad news that I'm going to talk to you about right now is that we all tend to be really into ourselves, right? We, we love ourselves. We are really into us. In fact, if you think about it, we live in a world where as a society we do selfies, right? And we talk about self-esteem and self-expression and self-fulfillment and self-discovery 
and self-assurance and self-actualization and self-awareness and self-help and self-care, and it goes on and on and on. We were really into ourselves. Here's the bad news, folks. When we are really into ourselves, that is a clear indication that we have sin in our lives. Now, I know people don't like to talk about sin in our society, in our culture. But sin is anything that we say or do or think that goes outside of the bounds of who God is, what God has called us to be. It really, it goes against the grain of the universe, the way that God has designed the universe to work. And we're saying, no, I'd rather do it a different way. That's what really sin is. And we were designed to love God and to love other people, but sin causes us to fold in on ourselves, to curve in on ourselves. As uh, Martin Luther wrote in his lectures on Romans, and I, I love this quote, he says, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God toward itself and enjoys them. In other words, all the gifts that God gives, rather than it bringing us back to God, it's all about us. As is plain in the works righteousness and hypocrites, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things even God, for its own sake. In other words, when we're curving in on ourselves, when we're so self-absorbed, that shows us our sin, but it also shows us how we are not doing what we're designed to live to be. God designed us to love him and love others, and we're saying, no, it's all about me. And even the gifts that you give me, God, it's all for me. You, you see this in the church where people come to the worship service and, they, and their first thought is, what can I get out of the church? Now, don't hear me wrong. The church is meant to build up people. But if that's all you're thinking about, what am I getting out of the church? That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to fill up and to pour out. To fill up and to pour out. Over and over and over again. To love God and to love people. And the more we fill up, the more we pour out. <laughs> okay, you know what's coming. For those of you who have been here for a while, you know what's coming. You know that I have to talk about Presbyterians for just a moment. Because Presbyterians, historically are typically not known for our celebrating and joyous worship services, right? Um, historically, Presbyterians have been stark and sober, somber, serious, solemn, and secure in our status of being the frozen chosen, right? Yeah. 
And so whenever I talk about joy and worship, there's always going to be somebody who says, you know, I've come to worship services like this for a long time, and I've never once experienced joy in that. And to that I have to say, maybe the problem is a heart problem. Maybe it has nothing to do with the music that we have on Sunday morning. Maybe it has nothing to do with the way the service is structured. Maybe it all has to do with your heart as you come into a worship service like this. Because let's remember, the early Christians, they were persecuted and they met in catacombs, in graves, right? In graveyards, underneath the ground. And they they worshipped there. And they had joy in the midst of that. So maybe we focus on the wrong things. Maybe we're focusing on all the wrong things. And we start talking about God and we say, we worship you, oh God. We love you. We serve you. But what we're saying with our lips doesn't match what's really going on in our heart. Maybe that's where we need to start. Not, well, pastor, you need to be more dynamic. Oh, pastor, we need to sing this song and this song. Oh, pastor, we need to do all these other things in our worship service, and then we'll have joy. No, we won't, because where real joy comes is from Jesus. And we need to know that, and we need to understand that, and we need to recognize that if my heart is not right before God, no amount of doing what I want is going to bring me true joy. I hope you all understand that. It's like Jesus says... In Matthew 15, 8, when he's talking about religious people, and he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When you read Psalm 98, that is not a person whose heart is far from God. That is a person who is just overwhelmed and thrilled with who God is, and he just can't wait to make a joyful noise. And he's not worried about what other people are going to say about him, and he's not worried about if he's going to be too loud, and he's not, going to, he's not worried about if someone's going to say, well, you shouldn't do that. That's not reverent. He's not worried about that. What he's saying is God is worthy of everything, and I want to give him everything. That's what worship, that's what God intends for us in worship. And God intends for us to know real joy by worshiping him. And when we worship him, we get outside of ourselves. And we're seeing someone who is truly worthy of being enjoyed, truly worthy of being adored and admired, truly worthy of being celebrated and praised, truly worthy of being honored and revered, truly worthy of being applauded. And extolled. And if that isn't lighting your worship fire today, hear this. This is the good news. That part of the joy of worshiping, part of the joy of worship is rejoicing in what God has given us in Christ. That's where our real worship comes. Think about what this psalm says in verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. What are the marvelous things that God has done for us in Christ? Well, the the verse actually says this. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Salvation. All who look to Jesus 
in real faith and repentance have salvation. And what we've done in the church in America is we have squashed the view of salvation. We have truncated it. We've made it so small and so little. It's basically, it, can I get out of hell? Do I get my get out of hell free card? And then the rest of it is, that's it. That's it. You know, there's nothing else to be seen in salvation. But think about this. The almighty God, the almighty powerful, amazing, wonderful God who brought the entire creation into existence simply by saying words has started a new creation in us who believe. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. He has taken our sins all the sins that we've committed, every single one, whether it is words, uh, our words, whether it is sins of our thoughts, whether it is sins of our actions, and he has thrown them into the grave and buried them, and they stay there forever because of what Jesus has done in taking upon himself our sin at the cross. He died he took on the curse of sin for us so that we would be freed, freed, freed to worship, freed from our sin, freed from our guilt, freed from our shame. And for that, we worship, we praise, we sing, we make a joyful noise. All of us who believe this were new creations because Jesus has leveled a mighty death blow against sin and death. And he's freed us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. And we will be just like him. Sinless. Righteous. Holy as we gaze into the face of our Savior. That's some good news, people. That's worth celebrating. When Jesus died on the cross, the death of death, the death of sin, the death of the evil one, the death of pain, the death of all the problems of this fallen world, it's, it was given that death now, and it was said, your demise is inevitable. It's coming. And when he rose from the dead, new life overflowed, just like rivers that have been flooded with a hurricane of rain. And those waters just flood our lives but not destructive waters. No, healing waters. Waters that cause us to be more and more aware of who God is, what he's done for us in Christ. And not only has God done that for us in this room who believe, verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is the good news that we spread everywhere because we want everyone to experience the joy of Christ. Because salvation isn't just for Americans. Salvation isn't just for people who live in the Bible Belt. Little secret, salvation isn't just only for Presbyterians either. Salvation is for anyone who believes 
in Christ who says, I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead and he is my Savior and Lord and I come to him in repentance and faith. That person, whether they live in Africa or Asia or Australia or Europe or North America or South America or Antarctica or Antarctica, whatever that is, wherever they are, no matter where they might be, they believe. They are now the people of God. And they have salvation. And they rejoice in it. Verse 3 tells us even further, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This steadfast love that, and faithfulness that God shows to the people, uh, to the house of Israel, that is to us. Because we've been engrafted in. Because when we're now Israel, we're now the people of God. We are now his and his steadfast love in Christ. That love that went to the cross, that love that went to the grave, that love that came out of the grave is the love that will keep us until all eternity. And there is nothing, nothing, not height, not depth, not demons, not anything in all creation that can separate us from that steadfast love in Christ. That's good news. And that's why we have joy when we worship because we recognize God has done marvelous things for us. Do you hear me, church? So your action point is this, and it's very simple. Enjoy God as frequently as you can. Enjoy God as frequently as you can. I don't know what frequently as you can means for you, but I know for me it means I cannot be satisfied with just worshiping God on Sunday morning. Worship has to be more of a way of life, that everything I do in some way, fashion, or form glorifies and enjoys God, that every good thing that I have brings me back to my Savior. There was a guy named um, Brother Lawrence, and some of you may have heard this guy. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And um, it, 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 has, it has been published in many, many different countries. He was a cook and a sandal maker who made it his desire that every moment of every day he recognized that God was with him in Christ and he wanted to enjoy God. And one of the quotes, I want to close with this, one of the quotes that he has is a reminder to me that this is the kind of life that God calls us to, a life of real joy. Here's the quote. How happy we would be if we could only find the treasure of which the gospel speaks. Nothing else would matter. Since it is inexhaustible, the more we search, the more riches we find. Let us devote ourselves ceaselessly to looking for it 
Let us not grow weary until we have found it. Folks, don't give up on the joy God has for you in Christ. Worship. Enjoy God as frequently as you can. And then as a whole, let's find great joy in worshiping our great God. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. God, you have poured out your blessing on us. It is amazing. It is inexhaustible. It is so full and wide and high and deep and broad. We can't get to the bottom of it. And yet, Lord, so many times we find ourselves with so little joy. Lord, will you work in our hearts where we have missed the boat when it comes to worship, where we have failed to see that when we get outside of ourselves and see you for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ, there is pure, true, lasting joy. Would you fill us, Holy Spirit, that we really would abound with the joy of worship, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of our life. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.